Welcome to episode 83 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the vault studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is ready to predict a Jets Super Bowl victory, <laughs> John Scott Sloat. I will be making no such prediction <laughs> today. Come on. We need a hot take from John Sloat. So we're doing something a little bit different here today. Yes. Yes. Uh, I am in Florida on vacation. When this episode drops. When it drops, yeah. We're actually recording this one a mere moments after the previous episode. Yeah, that's right. That's right. A little behind the curtain look for our listeners here. So so we're uh, recording a week out, um, which means that uh, any any sort of sports talk has the potential to be dated. So what we thought we'd do to kind of get things rolling on the front end here is, uh, is give a little uh, – Update on our expectations, our hopes for the uh, the upcoming football season. But uh, as my co-host has very subtly and helpfully reminded me, I think I forgot to this last episode. So it's it, I'm going to blame it on the tile project. Yes, but, yes. It, cre- uh, it doesn't create just a haze over the tiles. It creates a haze <laughs> over, over our minds brain. as well. Indeed. So. Anyway, uh, if you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Twitter at V&SPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We do have a Facebook page that has now restarted publishing notices about the episodes when they they launch, Various and Sundry Podcast, and you can find us on YouTube as well. So having said that, let's talk a little football preview and we'll start with your beloved Jets. What are your hopes, dreams, expectations, fears? Bear your soul to us. So a little, a little just generic football uh, uh, talk. I'm interested to see how the new number of games works out. So 17 games this year. 17 games, two preseason though, right? Yes. So I'm wondering if those two preseason games, how teams play that. Because norm- normally with four – um, it was like, goodness, the the everybody the offense the first string offense would play one drive, the second game they'd play a quarter, the yeah. third game they'd play into the third quarter, right, and then fourth game no one played really. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see how teams play that. Do injuries increase? Do they decrease? How does that work? Technically speaking, it's one game off the schedule, I believe, entirely if you count preseason and regular. Yeah, technically. Technically. So I'm interested to see how that all works itself out. It feels weird to say no team will go eight and eight uh, this year. <laughs> I suppose unless there's a tie, then it's possible. Eight eight and one. Eight eight and one. <laughs> um, so uh, for the Jets specifically, uh, I'm excited to see. Uh, I almost said Sam Wilson. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, Zach Wilson under center, and just see. You know, uh, apparently he can spin the ball pretty well. So excited to see him. Is he going to be the day one starter? I believe so. Um, I believe so. Okay. Uh, there's, there's no other quarterback on the roster that I would want under center at mm-hmm. all uh, over him. Like there's okay. no, there's no crafty veteran. You know, sure. there's no Josh McCown or anything like that behind right. him. So, uh, I think he'll be under center day one. I'd like them to pick up 
uh, a veteran QB who can sort of help him along. Mm-hmm. Be looking for this. Think about this. Yeah. There's been rumors that they've been talking to the Bears about Nick Foles. He seems to be the guy that everybody is interested in. Yes. Uh, he, as that sort of like veteran backup guy. Yeah. And uh, and I'd be okay with that. Um, I'd like somebody there, though, uh, that can that can help him along. Right. I, I have some mixed feelings about that. Not that I'm a Bears fan, but um, I, I do want to see Justin Fields do well. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's obviously just a matter of time before he's the guy. But I get nervous about starting rookie quarterbacks game one in the NFL. And I think even more so this year with less preseason, that hurts a potentially you know, yeah. guys like Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence to have uh, fewer reps. Now, I know they're not – it's not like they were playing all four preseason games, full games. But it will be interesting to see how that – how well, it gives develops. them less time to be on a sideline, figure out, uh, figure out some of the operating procedures of the team. You know, how do we call plays in? How does the offensive coach like to call the offense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he gets hyped up in a game situation, he sounds like that. You know, you know, stuff like that. I think is helpful uh, in the preseason. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so. Uh, other other than Zach uh, being under center. Uh, they got a second-round pick uh, who had a first-round grade, Elijah Moore, mm-hmm. uh, who's made some w- waves in minicamps uh, and just is like a really explosive uh, uh, receiver slot guy. Yeah, I'm excited to see him uh, play a little bit. Um, we're really hoping for a breakout star, obviously. Uh, and then, my goodness, I'm really excited about our offensive line. It should be really good. I mean, yeah, that, that's about it. Other than that, uh, I'm expecting the season – uh, to be around 500, uh, <laughs> not 500, but around 500. Uh, yeah. And uh, and I want to see uh, some of our young talent step up. You know, I want to see some flashes yeah. uh, of some of some uh, of some potential uh, future future greatness. So I think if we could do that, um, I think we already have two first round draft picks next year. Um, okay, and so if we could do that, I. I think I'd be pretty pleased with the season overall. Yeah. Are those reasonable expectations? I, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Um, you know, as an outsider looking in, uh, we've, we've talked about this, the fact that uh, a lot of the Jets' problems seem to be higher up in the organization mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you just wonder, does that just kind of set this ceiling on how well the franchise can do on the field? Barring a sort of dumb luck, just hit the jackpot kind of thing. Like, you know, if Zach Wilson blows up and is, you know, by far the best rookie quarterback in that class and becomes an all-time great, that can be a, a franchise-changing thing. But it it's just hard to know without – until they make some of those changes on the, on the it, upper end. And I think from him specifically, I'm looking for – Flashes, you know. Mm-hmm. I expect bad interceptions. I expect he's going to hold onto the ball too long. S- stuff like that. Stuff that all rookies seem to do. Yep. Um, but if he every now and then it's like, hmm, that was a forty-five yard rope uh, yeah. to a receiver down the down the sideline. Yep. In the two-minute yep. drill, that that's nice. Yeah, you definitely want to see those flashes for sure. Um, so if I set the over/under on wins for the Jets at exactly eight, at exactly eight. 
Are you going over or under? Uh, I'll go over by one. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> so you're thinking nine and eight. Yes. And that's the uh, that's the optimist in me coming out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, right. Let's let's turn our attention to a little college football and yeah. and, uh, and your Buckeyes. So um, a lot of storylines coming out of Ohio State. Um, you know, probably the biggest is the fact that they have to replace Justin Fields sure. as their quarterback. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's been a three-way uh, quarterback battle in camp, starting in spring and now going into camp. Uh, odds seem to be favoring uh, a kid named C.J. Stroud. He was the backup last year. Mm-hmm. Um, did play in some very limited time in some garbage time. Did not throw a pass. So you have – this is part of what's fascinating is you have um, a group of quarterbacks at Ohio State, none of whom have thrown a pass in a game. Wow. So C.J. Stroud has come in and handed the ball off and actually had a long rushing touchdown hmm. in some garbage time, but has not thrown a pass and neither the other two. Uh, so that that's a little unsettling going into a season to have a quarterback – who's never thrown a pass in a game. Hmm. Now, having said that, all three are, you know, four-star plus recruits kind of guys. So highly recruited, good quality guys um, in, in that sense. And what what encourages me, here, here was one of those signs that I thought, this is actually an encouraging thing. So Ohio State's best receiver is Chris Olave. And he could have left and been a first-round NFL draft pick this past year. Okay. He decided to stay. And what that tells me is he must be reasonably confident that whoever the next quarterback is, they're going to get him the ball. And that he's not going to be just a disaster. That it's not going to hurt you to come back and um, you know lo- see lower numbers maybe sure. because you've got a, a new quarterback. And uh, – Ohio State has arguably the best wide res- set of wide receivers in the country. Hmm. If you look at you know a site like Pro Football Focus that runs analytics and that sort of stuff, they rank Ohio State's two best receivers as the two best in the nation. Hmm. Uh, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. And they also have um, an excellent tight end in, uh, in Jeremy Ruckert. So – and they – a lot of the buzz coming out of the camp has been um, around, though, an incoming freshman running back named Travion Henderson, one of the highest running back recruits uh, in the country. And um, you're, you're hearing whispers like by, by a couple games in, he's going to be the starter. Really? As a true freshman. He's just got that pop, that explosiveness. So forgive my ignorance on Ohio State football. Uh, they had some pretty good running backs last year. Well, they're yeah. They had kind of a two-man mm-hmm. platoon system between Master Teague, great name, great name, <laughs> and he's built like a tank. I mean, just mm-hmm. you know, he he passes the eye test. And uh, Trey Sermon, who was the transfer in from Oklahoma, who started off very slow, and then like the last three games, like became the greatest running back in Ohio State history, basically for those three games, where he just like he broke the single game rushing record in the Big Ten championship game. And then ran wild again in the playoff semifinal against Clemson and then got hurt on the first play of the national championship game, uh, which really hurt Ohio State. Yeah. 
clarifying, I'm not saying they would have beat Alabama if Trey Sermon was healthy, but it would have been a better game. Would have been closer. Yeah. In any case, the uh, so there's a lot of buzz there. Ohio State needs to fix their secondary. Their secondary was terrible last year. That's an area of concern. They start the season on the road at Minnesota, which is a sneaky, challenging game with a freshman quarterback, or not freshman, but a new quarterback. And um, and then they they play Oregon, top ten team, play them at home, which is good. Mm-hmm. So well, you'll get an early look at, at at how good they are. I think if they can get past those two hurdles, they can build into a team that should make the playoff at the end of the year. So are those two running backs still on Ohio State? Or did Trey the, Sermon uh, gra- graduated and was drafted by the 49ers. Okay. Master Teague is still there. He's more of a workhorse. He's He doesn't have that that explosiveness. Okay. Okay. So he may be the goal line guy or – Well, I just think he'll be kind of a – I think he'll get a lot of carries. But I think the difference between him and, and Henderson will be noticeable just hmm. in terms of explosiveness. You never really thought when, – when you handed the ball to Teague, you never thought – he. you kind of thought, well, maybe he could break one, but probably not. Yeah. Henderson is the kind of kid that you hand it to him, you go, he could break it any any play. Yeah. He he he's that kind of explosiveness. If the hole collapses, he can bounce it out and yep. take it to the house. And he's got the speed. Okay. He's got the whole package. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. I'm looking forward to uh, – I am looking forward to the season. I, I'm not looking forward to the – what it does to my emotional state. <laughs> <laughs> Though eventually, if they change the playoff system to have 12 teams, which seems crazy to me, um, that takes a little pressure off of those regular season games. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that develops. But um, we're any, not – Any prediction on on record? I mean I'm not saying they can't lose to, to – I, 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 I can see it as a possibility of them losing to – even Minnesota on the road, that's not an easy place to play. They could lose to Oregon. Um, but – and you know, even though Ohio State has beaten that team up north for almost a decade straight now, uh, fluky things can happen in those games. But my my expectation is still for them to run the table okay, and to win the Big Ten. Okay, and that would put them in line for a national uh, national championship. If then, they or go, to be in the, to be in if, the pl- picture, if they go unbeaten, they will make the playoff. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. If they lose a game in there, then it gets dicey. So we'll we'll see. But optimism, you know, you're more optimistic than I am. I tend to yes, think of yes. what's <laughs> going to go wrong. So the pessimist in me thinks eventually this great run of Ohio State's got to end. You know, something fluky will happen. The quarterbacks won't perform. Our secondary won't get better. You know those kind of things. And I think that I think your quarterback situation may be the biggest question mark right now. Is that yeah. is that I a mean, fair? They looked good in the spring game, but you know the spring game is a glorified scrimmage at best kind of yeah. thing. So hard to know. But I do have confidence in Ryan Day. I think he's a great play caller. I think he's mm-hmm. creative offensively. I think he'll create situations that will build success. Mm-hmm. That he's not going to be like, all right, we're going to throw the ball fifty times today and you know force a new quarterback to, you know, go through three, four reads and find a guy. I think early it's going to be a lot of one read, two read, go kind mm-hmm. of thing and uh, and try to simplify things for them. Okay. So that's my hope at least. All right. Well, we ready to move on to our uh, to our main topic? I think so. We got 15 minutes out of sports without, uh, yeah. you know, without 
having anything live happening, you know? <laughs> well, you can get me – you can get both of us going on our, on our favorite football yeah, teams. Yeah, abso- absolutely. early in the season, you know, before the season when you, know, you have all these hopes and dreams and expectations. But what is our main topic for today, John? Uh, we're talking about the Good Samaritan passage, Luke 10. Yeah. Yeah, so um, – and, and really the reason we're doing this is uh, some of our listeners probably – I've heard me mention this, but I am I'm writing a commentary on the Gospel of Luke, which is a pretty massive undertaking, and um, just recently finished working through chapter ten, and uh, the Good Samaritan comes towards the end of chapter ten, and when I proposed this as a topic, you thought, well, I've taught on this as well. You've you know you've taught on this a couple of times, yeah. different, different contexts. So I uh, thought it might be nice for us to just kind of work through this passage. And uh, and pull out some 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 things that I think are worth worth noting, and then uh, maybe move towards some some points of application and just kind of thinking through how it applies. So, uh, do you want to read it, or do you want me to read it? I, I can give it a read here. Okay, uh, I have it on my. Uh, so this my... is Luke ten, starting verse twenty five, and going through verse thirty seven. Okay, uh, and behold. Uh, a lawyer stood up uh, to put him, uh, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love uh, your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, uh, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest Uh, was going down that road, uh, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring pouring on oil and wine, and then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn uh, and took care of him. And the next day uh, he took out two denarii uh, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever uh, more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Uh, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. All right. Yeah, I mean, fascinating passage. Um, and, and obviously one that's very well known, even among people who are not um, necessarily church-going folk uh, or were raised necessarily in a Christian context. A lot of people are familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Sure. It's made its way. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, Seinfeld. 
Uh, and yeah. we talked about the final episode of Seinfeld and they get in trouble for a good Samaritan law. Right, right. That the that in the episode, a the town had passed a law requiring people to uh, come to the aid of someone in need. Mm-hmm. And so even, you know, you think about we associate that term Samaritan generally positively. Sure. I mean, their whole, you know, hospital networks and medical conglomerates with the name Samaritan in them, like Good Samaritan. So, Good Samaritan. Samaritan's purse is something out there. Uh, uh, isn't that Franklin Graham's maybe. Uh, ministry, I think? Yeah. So it, it can be helpful for us to sort of go back and, and look at in that original context, for Jesus to make the Samaritan the hero of the story would, would have been a stunning turn of events. Mm-hmm. It would have been completely unexpected because of the long history of um, animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And so just to give a very brief, (laughs) there's a lot here, but uh, the Samaritans were essentially the the offspring, the descendants of – so when the – when the nation of Israel split into two, you had the northern kingdom of Israel, you had mm-hmm. the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeroboam, Rehoboam. There you go. The, the the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 BC, and many of them were taking off taken off into exile in, in Assyria. Some of them were left behind in the land, mm-hmm. and so the king of Assyria then decided we're going to send. Um, other people to live in in the land in the northern kingdom, what used to be the northern kingdom, and they intermarried and um, and produced children that basically were from a Jewish perspective at the time half breeds, like yeah. they're only half Jewish, and they developed their own sort of syncretistic form of religion, sort of taking parts of. Um, what God had revealed to the Israelites and then merging it with other pagan practices and such. So they eventually became their own distinct entity. And throughout centuries, there was hostility mm-hmm. between these two groups. And uh, I was even just in, in prep for this. So, you know, Jesus is is doing ministry around 30 AD. There was an incident in around the year 9 AD. So like, you know, 20 years before this where a group of Samaritans had entered into the temple courts at night during Passover and spread dead bones throughout the temple complex. Which would make the the uh, very uh, strict uh, Jewish people. That's, uh, right. That's an act of defiling the temple. Right, basically. right, right. That would and, make them unclean. It would make the, certainly the temple unclean. Right, right. Now, of course, you know, a uh, hundred plus years before that, the Jews had destroyed the Samaritan temple altogether. So yeah, yeah <laughs> plenty of blame to go around on yeah. both sides of that of that conflict. Um, so to make the Samaritan the hero is pretty striking. Mm-hmm. Even provocative uh, in, this, in this time. Yeah. Indeed. And in fact, you notice that when, uh, when Jesus asked the question at the end, um, which of these three showed himself to be a neighbor? The lawyer, the, 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 the legal expert in the Jewish law – can't bring himself to say the Samaritan. <laughs> he just says the one who showed him mercy. Yeah, won't even utter the name Samaritan in his response. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it's important. I think we have a connotation of the word lawyer 
as well that where it's like somebody we pay an exorbitant fee to to do legal right. stuff for us. Right. This was this was more th- theologian even. Yes. Uh, than a uh, essentially a biblical scholar. Yeah, more than a uh, more than a uh, yeah, an expert in the Jewish law. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, I'm not a fan of of rendering translating that lawyer because I think of those connotations in our current sure. context. People sure. think attorney. I want to sue someone. I need an attorney, or I'm getting sued. You know, I need an attorney. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then it's also interesting. You've got uh, that road between Jerusalem and Jericho, well known for its dangers. Uh, it descends something like three thousand feet from Jerusalem to Jericho. Yeah, it's yeah. winding. Yeah, and Jerusalem always sits up on a hill, so you always go up from up to Jerusalem. Right. And when you leave Jerusalem, you come down from it. Correct. Uh, and I think we took a bus ride from from Jericho to we Jerusalem, did. and yep. it it is quite steep. Yes, yes, it is. And it it would be easy for robbers to hide in certain areas where you could easily surprise someone. So the, the in this parable, you've got – this would have been a situation that everyone hearing the parable would have said either, oh, I know someone that that happened to or you know, they were traveling and they got stopped by robbers and they got you know, their possessions taken or they got beaten up or something like sure. that. So would not have been uh, surprising. What is uh, perhaps surprising is that you have both the priest and the Levite. Mm-hmm. Literally going out of their way to avoid this injured man who is by the side of the road, half dead. Um, and so it, it highlights the lack of compassion versus the Samaritan who who shows compassion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, anything else as you think about uh, some of the key features, background kind of stuff um, – as you've kind of looked at this parable, man. I, well, I was going to bring up the dead bones in the temple thing. Uh, I, I said that when I when <laughs> I preached this passage in chapel here. Um, my goodness, uh, n- not any that come to mind. Uh, okay. I, I think we've relatively uh, we've hit relatively strongly that like there's a lot of animosity here. Sure, and I, and I will point out uh, that I, I think. It's possible to misinterpret this parable in, in several different directions. But one is – so the lawyer asks the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And if you don't read this carefully, you could come to the mistaken conclusion that Jesus basically says, be a good neighbor and then you you, you, you get eternal life. Yeah, And that's not what he's saying. In essence, he is exposing uh, the lawyer – for his lack of understanding of what it means to love your neighbor as a way of helping him to come to realize his need for Christ. Yes. The the lawyer is trying to um, – by the way, I'll, I'll mention that the lawyer totally skips, skips over love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, heart right. soul, and mind. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you put much emphasis on that as much. Uh, right. But, uh, but Because he, he thinks he's probably got that one. Now. He's got that covered. Yeah. You know, um, He's a, he's a theologian, right? Uh, but who is my neighbor? He's trying, to, he's trying to narrow that down. Yes. He's trying to say, okay, is it the people next to me, houses who are next to me? Is it people in my neighborhood? Is it uh, my, my small town? Like, like who, who right. is this? Right. And as an expert in the Jewish law, he would have probably held to the view that it just applies to his fellow Jews. Mm-hmm. 
because if you look at the original context where um, that that uh, quote comes from, uh, it's Leviticus 19, uh, where you've got the uh, love your neighbor as yourself. It's in the context of God explaining to the Israelites how they're supposed to treat their fellow Israelites. Mm-hmm. So at one level, there's a contextual argument that you can say he's right, but here's the difference. If you keep reading on in Leviticus in the very same chapter, maybe it's the next one over, um, the Israelites are commanded to treat the aliens and sojourners, the foreigners among them Hmm. on the same basis. Interesting. And so it's – you know, the, the the legal expert could come and say, well, look at the immediate context. And Jesus could have said, yeah, but if you look at the little bit broader context, you see that that same standard is applied to the foreigners living among you, that you're supposed mm. to love them as yourself. So you can't get around it just on the sort of ethnic level of, well, it just applies to my fellow Jew. Hmm. It doesn't apply to one of those half-breeds Interesting. as the Samaritans. So I think that's a, a helpful piece to, to look at there in terms of – what Jesus is getting at. And doesn't it just speak to our – I mean there's a sense in which when you really feel the weight of some of God's commands, isn't some of – one of our natural inclinations to go, all right, so what are the boundaries on that? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what are the, what's the escape hatch on that? How one? do I make that manageable? Right. Yeah. Right. And in one sense, that's part of what the law is supposed to do is help you to see yeah. it, it places upon you this tot- the, the totality of its weight – to help you see, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I have no hope. If it depends on me obeying that perfectly, I don't have a chance. So that's a that's a big piece of I think what in part Jesus is doing there is to help us help us to see that. And you know, there's obviously I think more details in the text that we could dive into, but I think it might be helpful for us to move into thinking about application. What, what does this look like for us moving forward? How do we as followers of Jesus apply it today. Yeah, and, and I think what you just said is a huge takeaway, right? That that when we come to the end of this, we go, so it's not just people I live around. It's just not people that I regularly associate with. It's it's even people I dislike um, are my are my neighbor. And and I, I need to I need to love them as I love myself. You know, right. I don't have the power for that. Uh, I, right. I, I I need the help of of uh, the empowering of the spirit uh, to, to mm-hmm. even come close uh, to right. beginning to do that. Yeah. And I think, too, that uh, it is helpful to notice here that um, the – we can get into some trouble, I think, when – well, trouble's the wrong word. It can feel overwhelming. Living in such a connected world that mm-hmm. we live in today, you know, you, you, you're reading through your social media feed and you see, oh, my gosh – there's this famine in some country in Africa and your heart is legitimately moved and you think, okay, am I obligated to help with that? Should I send money to help relief agencies with that? And that can, of course, that can be a good impulse and maybe you should. Mm-hmm. But it can be easy to feel overwhelmed with our awareness of all the needs in the world. And so – I think it can be helpful to recognize that there is a proximity issue in terms of neighbor, meaning that the primary focus is your neighbor is someone who is near to you. Mm -hmm. And so you have a greater obligation, I think, to be more involved in meeting of needs of people 
that are in that kind of close proximity to you, whether that's in the church, whether that's in your physical neighborhood, these, you know, wherever you live. Uh, not that that completely gets you off the hook for, oh, I, I just worry about my community and, you know, my little town. And then, you know, I, I have no consideration for other parts of the world. Sure. But I think for, for the overly sensitive conscience, some people can just feel overwhelmed with there's all these needs in the world and I only have this much resources. Like how can I possibly love that neighbor and love this neighbor? You know, I, I want to I help that person sure. say, sure. it's okay. God doesn't call you to meet every single need you're made aware of. Even though a good, that's a good impulse. That's to a have. good. That's a good impulse. But uh, there's a there's a nearness principle there, or, or something where yeah. dealing dealing in your immediate context yeah. as you go. Um, yeah, and I and I also I would also point out here that um, the sort of uh, ethnic and racial animosity is there mm-hmm. in this passage. Absolutely, and it reminds yeah. us that um, that that racism and prejudice. Is as old as uh, I think, as you said the other day, as old as the Tower of Babel. Yeah, as old as old as Babel. Yeah, and um, you know, we're not going to dive into the topic of of race per se here, but I think it's helpful sometimes in our American context. Mm -hmm. We have such an American take on race and racial issues that we lose sight of this being a far more fundamental human problem Mm -hmm. of. There is ethnic and racial prejudice that's directed in all directions. You know, you, you know, it just looks different by country and culture. You know, you go to other countries and you go, oh, well, this group hates this group. You know, and it's not black and white; it's some other combination of ethnic divide. Sure, that, I I remember being in the country of Kyrgyzstan, and I just remember, oh, the Kyrgyz hate the Uzbeks, and the Uzbeks hate the Kyrgyz. Why? Yeah. Well, and, beats, beats me. Yeah, and it probably goes back so far yeah, beyond yeah. even human memory at this point that it's just embedded within those two different cultures that they dislike each other. Mm-hmm. And there's probably reason for that way back, you know, some sort of battle, some sort of territorial dispute, some you know, something's there. But if you ask those people today, why do you hate them? They probably can't even necessarily articulate it. It's just been – it's part of the air they breathe in yeah. the culture they were raised in. Yeah. So I think – that's the, it's, the, part, it's part of our human it's part of our human sin issue. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, a, 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 to address it, it has to be dealt with at that level. Mm-hmm. So, anything else you wanted to hit on here? Or are we ready to uh, to move on? Any any last thoughts on on the goods? I mean, there's there's tons here. Obviously, yeah. There's a ton here. If you wait a few years. My commentary will come out and then that will solve all your problems. But um, said tongue-in-cheek, of course. I, I will want to mention, if you're interested in the parables, by the way, and maybe we – have we done an episode on the parables? No, we should. Maybe we should, yeah. You think in Snodgrass? Yeah. That's a great resource. There's a resource by a scholar named Klein Snodgrass. Yeah. Fabulous name. It's uh, called Stories with Intent, a Comprehensive Guide to the Parables. It's a great reference guide for – uh, teaching or studying the parables. I highly recommend it. It's something that's worth uh, adding to your library. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So we are in episode 83 and we need an athlete, John. Yeah. Let me let me run us through uh, uh, who we have on the list here. Um, Ted Hendricks. 
Yes, yes. I have some info about him, yes. Yeah, go for it. So in doing research for the pod, uh, so he was a linebacker for the primarily for the Raiders, long history with the Raiders. He was six foot seven. Wow. That's really tall for a linebacker, even yeah. today. Yeah. Linebackers tend to be more in that like six two to six five range, mm-hmm. maybe. And he blocked twenty five field goals in his NFL career. Just because he had those he just had an extra couple inches. Yeah. Yeah. So just that that just fascinated me. Like uh, that, I can't confirm that, but it has to be an NFL record. Who's blocked more than twenty five field goals? Yeah, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Six seven linebacker. He played from uh, sixty nine to eighty three. All right, uh, Andre Reed. Yeah, you remember not him? not Andy Reed. <laughs> no, Andre. No, Andre Reed. Do you remember him? Played for the <sighs> Bills primarily. Maybe, uh, maybe. From 95. Uh, uh, that, that's a typo there. There you yeah. go. <laughs> um, I th- yeah, I think he ended his career in around the year 2000, but was part of those Bills teams. Okay. Jim Kelly was one of Jim Kelly's primary targets there in um, in Buffalo. And then uh, Mark Clayton. I know that name. He was uh, a wide receiver for the Dolphins primarily. And was he was part of what was called the Marx Brothers? You remember this is before your time. Yeah. But Dan Marino had two wide receivers, Mark Clayton and Mark Duper, I think Duper or Dupree, something like that. Okay. So they were called the Marx Brothers. <laughs> uh, dynamic wide receiver for the, uh, yeah, for uh, the Dolphins. Willie Galt. Galt. Yeah. Raiders and Bears. Uh, and was primarily a track star who was turned into a football player, like el- almost Olympic level kind of track star kind of thing. Um, and then for Ohio State, Terry Glenn, wide receiver from 93 to 95, won the Bolitnikoff Award in 1995 as the nation's best wide receiver, hmm. played for the Patriots, was one of the best wide receivers in, in Ohio State history by far. And uh, sadly – he died in a drunk driving accident. Where he he was hit by a drunk driver? No, nope. he unfortunately was was impaired Ugh. and uh, died in a car accident. That's sad. That. Yeah. So, who's jumping out to you there? Um, honestly, Ted Hendricks. Yeah, it's hard to beat the six seven and blocking twenty uh, twenty five field goals. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. So let's go, Ted Hendricks. Ted Hendricks, it is. All right, one thing you liked. Uh, well, we're recording early, so yes. when this drops, I am on vacation in St. Augustine, <laughs> Florida. So St. Augustine, Florida is the one thing I like. Okay. Yes. So by faith, you're announcing. I, I suppose. Yeah. 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 I'm going to do a similar thing since we're okay. going a week out. So this, when this drops, this the previous week before this, uh, I will have had opportunity to see uh, Zach from Ohio oh. and Nate from Ohio. Yeah, they're both staying with you. Yes, yes. So it'd be good to see them. So I, I am confidently selecting that as my one thing I like in advance, even though you know it hasn't happened yet. But yeah, I'm confident on that. All right. So we've done our football preview of our favorite teams for the upcoming season. We've talked the Good Samaritan. We have selected a six-seven linebacker 
who blocked 25 field goals as our athlete for the episode. Way to go, Ted. And by faith, we have expressed our one thing we liked as vacation and catching up with friends. Mm-hmm. So I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And all that's left to say is mission accomplished. And so until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.